Okay, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servants, his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jugs and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Okay, so in la- last time we talked about several points, one of them being verse 3, how she just happened upon the field of of uh, uh, Boaz, and how that word is ha- happened is, is she chan- her chance chanced upon, and how God has a, way, a, ray, a way of directing us when our hearts are His. Then we talked about, in verse 4, about how Boaz set the tone for the place in which he worked, for the place that, that he worked where he blessed others and blessed him, and he maintained a godly environment, and how we can do the same thing through, through the way we live. And then we talked about Boaz's concern for her. He said, whose woman is this? Not addressing her as, not going up to her and just, just in a cocky way greeting her, but he realized that this woman had a family. This woman belonged to somebody and he respected her as such. But let's pick up upon this thought now where it says that uh, um, in verse 5, then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And verse 6, the servant in charge of the reapers replied, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from morning until now, and she's been sitting in the house for a little while. So Ruth went and she asked permission to glean in this field. In the land of Israel, the poor were permitted to go 
and to glean and to gather grain that which was left after the first pass of the reapers and the maids that would follow the reapers to gather it up and to bundle it into these sheaves. They were allowed to go. They didn't even have to ask permission. They were permitted by law. So a, a landowner could not say, no, you can't do that. He could make it difficult for them and he could treat them poorly in disobedience to the law, but they did not have to ask permission. Nevertheless, she asked permission. She asked permission to, to glean and to gather in this field. And in fact, the way she asked this, it may be that she asked for, for even, even uh, uh, to do quite a lot there, but nevertheless, she asked permission. And what I want to focus on is, is this whole thing of learning how to deal with authority. Even if we have the right for something, the right at having something, learning how to ask permission, learning how to approach authority, learning how to deal with it, can help us tremendously in our lives. This young lady went and she asked this head servant, Boaz wasn't there, so she asked the head servant, can I go into the field? Because he says that she asked permission. Uh, in verse 7, it, he's quoting her, she said, please let me glean after the reapers among the sheaves. Please let me do this, even though she was entitled to this. Understanding how to deal with authority, understanding how to approach authority, would, would help us a lot in our lives. And it's not just church authority, it's authority at work. It's learning how to approach authority, learning how to deal with people. And, and I'm not sharing this with you because I've mastered it. I'm sharing with you this with you because... I've seen the effects of learning how to do it. I've seen the effects of not learning how to do it, personally. And so I want to make your life a little bit easier than my life has been. Learning how to ask permission. Learning how to work with authority. Learning how to approach them, even if we are entitled to it. To show gratefulness. To approach properly and to show gratefulness to others. So I will periodically write a letter, a handwritten letter to my administrator, say the president of the university. In fact, I, I do this a few times a year, or to the provost or the deans, and just thank them for allowing me to work at Rice. Come on, I mean, it, allowing me to work at Rice. Well, nevertheless, I am thankful, and I send them a note of appreciation, a handwritten note. I do this, and you know what it does? It garners me tremendous favor. It really does. It's a lot of fun to get notes in return from them and to be treated in certain ways when I meet them because most people don't show an attitude of gratefulness. And so when we show an attitude of gratefulness, those who we do that toward are are really amazed at that. It's not like everybody is coming up to the president and saying, thank you for permitting me to work here at Rice. Thank you so much. And, and, uh, uh, but just to be able to show that, just to be able to do that, and, and uh, um, to be able to request certain things, learning how to make requests, can take us a long way in the eyes of God and in the eyes of other people. There's a particular passage in the scriptures that speaks to me about this, this sort of thought, and that's in, in the book of Daniel. So if you turn to Daniel, so if you can find like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, 
and then and then um, once you found Isaiah, Jeremiah, or, or Ezekiel, right after Ezekiel, you'll find the book of Daniel. And Daniel, to show you what he had been through, Daniel was a a was one of the the uh, one of the one of the rich or the nobles' children in the land of Judah when it was attacked by Nebuchadnezzar and everybody was taken into captivity. So he took the sons, the young men, the sons of, of the, the nobles in Jerusalem and Nebuchadnezzar wanted to bring them up to be used in his private court. In other words, to become wise men, to give him counsel and he wanted them trained. So Daniel and three of his friends, Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego were all together there, and, and these young men had been taken captive, and they'd been put in this school now in Babylon. And it wasn't a school that they applied to and particularly wanted to go. It's just that this is where you will go. And it, you know, maybe if you're taken into captivity, that's not a bad deal. And, and, uh, but look at Daniel's attitude. Look in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Well, we'll pick it up from verse 6. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel he gave the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Azariah Abednego. Verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should you, why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the ewes who are among your own age? Then he would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence, and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So Daniel, it says, didn't want, he and his, his three other friends didn't want to eat the king's choice food, meaning the meat, because meat was obviously offered up to idols and, and, and the Israelites didn't want to, to partake in it. At least these three godly, these four godly young men. Nor did they want to drink the wine, which also had been offered up to idols. They didn't want to drink that. So they, it says that Daniel sought permission. So rather than saying, nope, not eating it, too bad, he didn't do that. He sought permission. And when the overseer said, this is my predicament, if you guys look haggard, it's going to cost me my head because I've got to make sure you guys are well fed and well taken care of because you're training for the king's court. And Daniel then gave an alternative. He says, okay, let's try this. Can we try this? Give me ten days. Give us ten days. Let us just eat the vegetables and see how we do. So you see how Daniel approached. He approached with a request. When the boss felt that there was no alternative, Daniel had planned an alternative, a test. He says, can we try this? This is not a bad way to approach somebody. To say, okay, let us try this. 
if we go your route, what would be the outcome? Can we try then this? So we said, okay, try it for ten days. And it's interesting the way God grants favor. God grants favor because of the attitude of Daniel and his three friends. And God grants favor because of the way that the request came. And so you see now in verse 14 of Daniel 1. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had eaten the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for, for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. So, you see what God did. God was able and willing to give Daniel and his three friends not just wisdom concerning the Bible, but tremendous understanding. It says, it, it says uh, uh, in verse 17, He gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Now remember, they were in, you know, Nebuchadnezzar University. And in that school, they didn't teach Bible. They taught all sorts of things that, that, that must have been in many ways repulsive to Daniel. Nevertheless, they learned it and they became better at it than anyone. God is able to do this. It says in, in Proverbs chapter 119, verse 97 through, uh, through 101, it talks about how God will give us insight greater than all our teachers if we make this word our meditation. He will do that. Better than all our teachers. God is able to give us tremendously special insight. The request was made. Daniel desired to live godly with his friends. And it says in every matter... Nebuchadnezzar found them ten times better than all of them, so much so that these new graduates knew more than the old guys in the court. It says that these guys knew more than anyone who was in there. I don't know what God is going to give you in particular, but I do know this. God is able to grant beyond what we are, we are able to ask or even think God can grant. And I have seen this again and again in my own life. You say, oh, well, you know, you've always been smart. You've always... I haven't. I haven't. I never could have gotten into Rice. And I was very fortunate to get into the school that I got into. And I struggled with freshman chemistry. I came to know the Lord and I started praying over my work all the time, all the time. And God brought me up. It wasn't inherent within me. And then even, even when I was applying for jobs, coming out of my postdoc, I was competing with guys from the same lab. So we were all in this lab together at Stanford and labs down the hall. And we were all competing for the same academic positions. And everywhere I interviewed, I got an offer. Everywhere I interviewed, I got an offer. 
And, you know, people would, you know, there was a joke. One guy even said it in the lab. He says, oh, Jim's never going to get a job with these other guys because he's competing against this person and that person. And, and you know, you may sound, that would say that was cruel. But to tell you the truth, in my own heart, I felt the same way. <laughs> you know, compared to these guys, I'd never get a job. These guys would eat, drink, and sleep chemistry. This is, they knew so much. And I felt like I was nowhere close. Because I had a wife, I had two children, I had church things I had to do, and, and, and so my life was, was divided in many ways. And these guys, this is all they did. And, you know, they kept a bottle of vitamins by their desk because they, you know, they never wanted to leave their desk. They worked so hard on chemistry. And it's, it's, it's hard to, to begin to, to think about this, but God blessed. God has ways of blessing again and again. And I've seen these guys now, you know, they're at other universities and and I met them at meetings, and recently I met, I met one guy that I was in graduate school with, and, and uh, um, you know, just talking, talking about our careers, and, and, and just seeing what God has done. I'm telling you, if you follow God, there is tremendous reward. If you remain faithful to Him, there's tremendous reward. So that when you go back, go back now to Ruth chapter 2. When you look at why, why was Boaz showing her this favor? Why this favor? Well, first of all, she learned to ask. And then Boaz goes and he begins to describe to her why he's showing her this favor. He said, because she said to him, why are you doing this for me? In verse 10, and he replies, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. This is why Boaz singled her out and said, be particularly good to this young lady. Because of your faithfulness to your mother-in-law and because you left everything to follow me. When we decide that the most important thing in my life is not my career, it's not my education, it is God. And when we realize that God is very much for our careers and our education and all of this, but realize that God is number one, making Him number one, things begin to happen. He says, because of what you did for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband, the way you cared for her, and you left your own people to follow to come to the land of Israel, to come under this God of Israel. How you left your own people. And then in verse 12, here he says, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. You have come to seek protection under the refuge of God. May God bless your work and may He make your wages full. You know, there's other verses in the Bible talk about wages not being full. He says to people who, who aren't generous, he says to them, you take your money and you are putting it into a bag, into a pocket with holes. So that what you get, you even lose. God makes sure of that. God is quite able to make our wages full or to make our wages scarce. God is quite able to bless it and to make it full and Boaz says, may God bless you and make it full. Why? Because you came to seek refuge under this God of Israel. Because you did this, may God bless you and reward you. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. This is a command of Jesus 
in the New Testament. And Jesus doesn't mess around. Look in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Verse 36 of Matthew 10. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. We are all for family, and Jesus is all for family. But God comes first. This is exactly what Ruth did. She left her family and the idol worship, and she said, I can't go back to that. Because remember what what Naomi said, your sister-in-law, Orpah, has gone back to her family and to her gods. And And Ruth couldn't do it. She chose God, she made God the number one place in her life, and God took care of her. She learned how to make requests. She made proper requests. Learned how to approach authority. Went to the head servant. And the head servant said, yeah, I've heard about you. But Boaz had heard an awful lot about this woman. Her reputation preceded her. If you are faithful, your reputation will precede you. If you are faithful. Here was this foreign woman. What was she doing? She didn't have any great degrees. They came back to the land. Naomi probably spoke well of this daughter-in-law and said, look how she takes care of me. Remember, it was Ruth who said, let me go into the fields and start gleaning. To save Ruth, the humili- to save Naomi, the, the, the humiliation of at her age having to go into the field. People saw the way she served her mother-in-law. People saw the way she worked among the body of the congregation of people. And said, that is a woman of excellence, because we'll see later on in this chapter where she's called exactly that, a woman of excellence. Her reputation preceded her. She was active in serving in her little community with her mother-in-law and taking care of her and being faithful to her. And that's why Boaz says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been reported to me. How you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people you did not know. How you have given up the things of the world and you serve in this community, being a foreigner. It's been reported to me. And I'm going to make sure things go well for you. This same thing happens today. And I'll give you specific examples. Some students I get to know very well. And I get to know them very well because they happen to work with me or they're around my home and they serve a lot. So when they ask me to write, say, a letter of recommendation, it's different than the standard letter of recommendation that I write. You know, you know students to a certain extent just because they've taken your class. And if they've done well, a student in my class has gotten an A, I'll generally write them a letter. Even if I don't remember them, I'll just say, you know, they were in my class, they got an A, so they must be fairly good, da, da, da. But if I really know somebody, I make it so hard for the person reading that letter to ever not hire them. I have gone so far 
to write to people I know in, in companies and to say, you would be an idiot not to hire this person. This person is so good. I mean, just... And, and, and why would I do that? Because I, if I know a person, I mean, I will be so strong. And if I don't know them, I will still speak so strongly. I will make referrals for them. Just because I know them to be the extreme of servants. You know, I'll say, oh, you need to meet this person. This, this, is, this is what field you're in. This is a very important person in that field. You need to meet with them. And I will take this student and get them together with this person and say, meet, talk. I want you to get to know this person. And I will say to the big shot, this person is very dear to me. Treat them as you would me. Then a relationship is established. Why would I do this? Why don't I do this for everybody? Because I don't know everybody that well. God does this. Relationships are built. Let me give you another example. The body of Christ. I did prison ministry for 10 years. Maximum security prison. Inmates would get out and they, they always want something. I say, you're not going to get anything because I don't want to build dependency. I say, but I offer to you something much greater. I offer to you my church. I offer to you my church. You come in to my church. You come into the body of Christ and you do more than just attend. You make sure your body is there every Sunday. That's one thing. But you make sure that you serve, that you pick up, that you clean, that you get involved, that you meet people, that you serve in the Sunday school. You serve in some capacity where you're meeting the body of Christ. And I guarantee you things will go well for you. Because people will see you and they'll give you a job. Some, con- some, some, some uh, construction guy will see you and he'll hire you to work on his construction sites. Or somebody who owns some store will hire you to work there. They will see that service and they will hire you. I mean, just recently a a student was telling me that that she didn't didn't get into uh, um, the college for next year to live there. You know, they have this lottery system. And the reason she is not in this Sunday school class is because she attended one time. She attended one time. She says, I want to serve. I said, how do you like to serve? What do you like? She said, I love to work with kids. The next week, she was in Sunday school class working with little kids with like six-year-olds. She's never been back to the class since. And this has been, so she, she came here in, in August. She came to this class once. She's been in the Sunday school class ever since then. And she told me she didn't get in. I said, oh, would you like, would you like a room in a house? somewhere between the church and the university. Because I'm sure we can find a family for you. Why would I do this for Because I And I said, all you've got to do is ask in the community, in that Sunday school community, somebody will open up a home for you. That I am sure. You see what I mean? When you serve, to the extent that you become involved in the body of Christ, is to the extent to which people will go the extra mile to make sure that say, I know you. And I know about you, and I'm going to make sure your wages are full. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. Young people do not understand the power of the body of Christ and the connections that come through the body of Christ. I'll give you another example. There was a, a young man in this church, and, and he was of, of Hindu background. He came to know the Lord in this country. His parents had arranged for him to marry a woman He married this woman. She did not even know the Lord, but she was open to coming with him to church. She served so faithfully in this class 
alongside her husband so faithfully. He's one of these guys who would go and pick people up all the time and, and things like that. He was a graduate student. And she served so faithfully in this class. It turned out in India, she had just gotten her degree in architecture. Well, she was such a faithful servant, I referred her because I knew her and the quality of service that this woman could do. I referred her to an architect here in the church. He had her in as an intern in his office. He loved her so much. She worked for him. Then, when another architect, another construction architecture guy that wanted her, he hired her. And she would say to me, they bring me to all these important meetings. They do this and this. Then her, her husband graduated. She moved to Florida. These guys called up people they knew. She had a job there in Florida waiting for her in an architecture firm because of her service in the body of Christ. You see what I mean? You see the way it works. Personal relationships mean more than anything. It means something in, in, in the working world, too. I had a, a student send me an email recently. She said, you know, I'm, I'm, I took a year off before I started medical school. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to medical school. And, and uh, my boss here at the hospital really likes me. And uh, um, he said that he's going to speak a word to make sure I get into the medical school there. I feel funny about that. Because I feel that, you know, I should be getting in there on my own and not through this guy. I said, no, this is better. This is the way the world works. You, you, you know, you get a letter of recommendation, you read it, you don't know the person. But when you get something from somebody you know, and they're writing to you and they say, hire this person, this person, then I immediately would hire them. If it's from somebody that I know to be good, know to be honest in something, I immediately hire, because you always want to hire good people. I said, no, this is the way the system works. If he's going to tell the medical school, take you, that's a good thing. You have faithfully served, you have faithfully served him, take it. Learn what it is to faithfully serve, and then to have doors open before you through the people that you have faithfully served. Learn what it is in the body of Christ, what you can what you can extract from the body of Christ just by faithful service. People will see that. They will hire you. They will open doors for you. I know many of you are like chemical engineers. When are you going to work? There are, there are uh, leaders of oil companies in this church that are very, very high up. VP levels all over the place. And, you know, you don't notice them, but they're worshiping right next to you in the service. You learn to serve in the body of Christ. And doors will open before you. Tremendous doors will open. And it doesn't come by just saying, you know, here I am. You know, I'm going to be applying for this job. Can, can, can you help me, right? I don't even know you. I don't even know your name. Hardly. And it, let, me, let me give you the flip side of that, of something that I think is disingenuous. And I've shared it before. And, and um, the church has a policy when, when, when students go off on mission trips... The church has a policy that they will help their own. They will help people who are members of the church. And so, you know, you're going off on a summer mission, you need to raise money. They'll, they'll help those who are members of the church. You say, well, I'm not a member, why don't they help me? I attend. No, because the church has some level of accountability. When you come under the wings of membership, which is very simple in this church, you just walk up and you just fill out a little form, and if you're not baptized, you get baptized. You know, they, they take care of everything for you. If you're not baptized, they'll take care of that. If you're baptized, fine. So, if you become a member, they will give you some portion of your support. This is what they do for their own. And so, I've seen students just run up 
just before the summer when they're going off on a summer mission to join the church. They haven't joined all year, but they'll run up to join, so then they get this chunk of money from the church. you see what I mean? Do you see how that's somewhat disingenuous? Can you see that? And then they'll go off on the summer mission and they'll send, you know, the standard form letter back to the church that, oh, thank you for the support, da-da-da-da. But there's no relationship there. But the church will still give it because they're a member. But it's disingenuous. On the other hand, if you take a person who has served faithfully in this church and they're going off on missions, not only do they get that little bit of money support, they get this huge prayer support. And people standing with them and there's a relationship and letters going back and forth and, and, and trouble happening in the mission field and how the church body is standing for them. You know, I've called up uh, uh, mission organization leaders and say, one of my own is under your care in this foreign country and you're not tending to her properly. You need to do this and this and this. You have an absolute gem in this person. You just set up the proper framework and this person will serve you very well. Take care of them. And immediately, you know, it's from the head of the mission board, it starts coming down and they get the situation resolved. Why do I do this? Because I know that person. This is exactly what Boaz is doing. He is opening up the way for her. And he says to her, you can go glean all over here. You don't have to go anywhere else. Now, the other side of that is there's another point in this. He says to her in verse, in verse 8, But Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my, eye, with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded my servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go and, and get the water. So he tells her, Stay here. Stay here. What if she thought, Who is he? To tell me to stay here. I, I can go to any field I want. I mean, maybe there's a better field over there. He just, he just kind of, you know, wants me around for other things. You know, he thinks he's going to get me to do some work for him or something. I'm not going to do that. No. He meant good for her. He really did. Now, she was a good-looking woman. And we know that, actually, from chapter 3, it, in, in verse 10, it says that, uh, um, it says, You have shown your last kindness to be better than your first by not going after young men, whether rich or poor. So she could have had rich young men. So she, she was, had to be a pretty good-looking young lady. Being a foreigner, to be able to you know, just go and, and, and get a rich young man if she had wanted, wanted it. So he told her to stay put here. Get knit in here. Get to know my maids. Get to know my servants. It is a good thing. Now, I don't know what students think, but they can think what they want, but I'll tell you why I do this. I think you ought to join a church and get plugged in while you're in school. You say, well, I'm only here four years. Four years is longer than you'll ever be in any one place again. With our mobile society, I mean, look at Scott. Scott's a, you know, he's a year here, a year in Malaysia, a year in Nigeria. I mean, you, you, just, you just go all over in this mobile society. Four years is a long time. You get plugged in. And if it's not this church, then find another one. But get plugged in and stay there. Let it develop. And there's this resistance. Well, like, no, I go to wherever I want. <laughs> Who are you? Okay. It was to help you. 
It was to help you. I was trying to help you. You just bebop all on over the place. Nobody gets to know you. And there's no responsibility called. You're never called to responsibility. But nor do people ever get to know you. Nor do they ever get to really trust in you. So that they hear you're getting out and you're uh, such and such a major. Oh, really? My spouse leads such and such organization. They, they hire people like you all the time. And all of a sudden, doors are open for you. Internships, so many great internships have been set up through relationships, through the body of Christ in the church, where people have known certain people, relationships, you know, you want to do an internship in a law firm, you know, six lawyers. I guarantee you, on the, on, the, on the pew in which you sit, there's probably six lawyers in this church. This church has more lawyers. I mean, just watch out. Don't offend anybody or you're going to get sued. But lots of lawyers. So you want to do an internship in a law firm? I mean, look on your left, look on your right. I mean, they are lawyers all over the place. Uh, and, and, and the ones that aren't lawyers are oil people. And, 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 and they're there. You can do this sort of thing when there's a relationship in the body of Christ. This is good. Boaz was looking out for her. He wasn't trying to clamp down on her and constrain her. He was speaking good things. And she had the sense to say, this is a good thing. God is really blessing me. Why are you being so kind to me? That's what she says in verse 13. Uh, you have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. So the English doesn't do it justice. There's two levels of maidservants in Israel. One where you could be a, a maidservant, but be have the level of a concubine, meaning that they could come and take you as a wife. Another one being below that, where you could never have that sort of right. And she put upon herself that I'm not even one of your maidservants that could rise to a level of maybe one day being part of, of your family. I'm the lower class, and still you've treated me like an upper class servant. Why are you doing this for me? And he blessed her, and he himself, Boaz, was about to fulfill his own blessing because he, because he said, may, your re, may, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full. He was the one who made the way. He was the one who made sure that her wages were full. You see what I mean? The same guy who said, do this, stay here, and you'll be taken care of, was the guy that was setting it up for her to be well taken care of. And that often happens, where the person who's counseling you to say, do this, this is good, is the person who's going to set up for you to make sure it's going to go really well for you. You see what I mean? They mean well for us. They often want to open the doors for us. I know in graduate school, doors were open for me. Relationships were open to me because of people that I knew spoke to other people and it opened up this door for this postdoc, this door for this. This is the way things work. And if you think it's not like this, you don't know. Many, many things, even today, work based on relationship. Doors open for you. God does this. The body of Christ is the most powerful unit in taking care of our lives around us, in opening up careers, jobs, things for our families, care for one another. Shireen and I have moved all over the country together. We have never gone very long. We've, within weeks, we are set up within a church and the body of Christ comes around us. We get involved and we have a sense of community for us and for our children. Learn what it is to have the body of Christ. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for these young people. I pray that you give them this heart like Ruth to learn how to approach authority, to learn how to ask permission, to learn how to, how to in a proper way, provide even alternatives if they have a better way. And also that you give them a heart to learn what the body of Christ is and the doors that can open because of the body of Christ. Father, I pray that they would learn what it is to, to glean in a field that's surrounded by believers, to give up the things of the world, to turn as Ruth did, and to choose the ways of Jesus, to come under His covering and see that You mean only care for them. Father, I pray for Your grace to be upon them. In the name of Jesus, Amen.